Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, Recorded live. I love your portion of this show. I, I can't hear what she said. Oh, okay. Thank you. No, I did not hear that. Someday I may be able to hear. <clears throat> We're talking about things that I want to know. I think we're on lesson, what, 14 or 15? Things I want to know. Things that I want to know that will provide me with that inward sense of freedom, no matter what the circumstances of life are. That's the kind of freedom that Jesus said we could have. That's called freedom indeed. I want to know what's real. That's what the word truth means, is what's real. So one of the things I want to know in life is what's real. And I want to present to you as my mission only what's real. I know that we live in a world where people love fantasy. And they thrive on being told lies. And the book of Jeremiah deals with that with the people of Israel. They got to where they would rather have a lie than they would the truth. They would rather have something that was an illusion rather than something that was real and substantial. That's been the curse amongst God's people from the very beginning is there's always that tendency to gravitate toward what's not real. About God, what's real about what's not real about life, and about, of course, his truth. So falsehood enslaves us. And so Satan's strategy is to discolor what's real so that we become more involved in our fantasies in life Because that's what opens us up to satanic deceit. Our mission, and of course, with that, you become enslaved to it. That's the opposite of freedom. Freedom can only be the result of truth. And there's no joy in life greater than having a sense of freedom. Not politically, although that can be very important. Not socially, necessarily, but morally and emotionally, individually, when we have the truth, he said, truth shall set you, what? Free. And when you have that kind of truth and that kind of freedom, he calls that 
freedom indeed. So I want to know what gives me true freedom, and I want to be as free in my thinking and because of how I think as God has intended or has created me to be. And in our freedom, God has set forth two general laws. We've been through this many times. But the governing of God, remember, God is governed by his word. His sovereignty is exercised in constraint to what he has said. And what he has said is the restraint to our sovereignty as human beings. We're made in the image of God. God is sovereign. We are sovereign. We can do things we ought not do. But the thing that limits our finite sovereignty, where God has infinite sovereignty, is the Word of God. God is limited in how He deals with us according to His written Word, and we are limited in our sovereignty to what He has written. So that's the match. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. Now, in, then how do we deal with people? How do we live in a society where not everybody has that respect for what's right? There are two laws that God has granted for, for particularly for governments to enforce apart from the church. You all know what they are. We've been over them many times. But every law in the Bible comes under, of, of all three covenants, they all come under these two laws. What's the first one? You do all that you agree to do. The first order of society, no matter what, what society you live in, no matter what government you live under, no matter what covenant of God you live under, the one thing is that you do all that you agree to do. Now, of course, you, you, you don't want to be held to that, do you? And you don't want other people to be held to that. You don't, you don't want to count on what other people say to follow through on, do you? Or do you? Or have you all gone numb? <laughs> okay, so we must do all that we agree to do. That's the first law. The second law is what? What's the second law? Do not encroach on another person or their property. Every law in the Bible, horizontally now, we're talking about human relationships, every law in the Bible comes under those two laws. No exceptions. You can't find a law that doesn't come under one of those two. Those are the two laws of the Bible. You know what? You can't find an exception. You're trying to think of one, aren't you? Well, there are none. Those two laws, horizontally, they won't get you to heaven. We're not talking about that yet. But when we live in freedom, that means that other people may not. And they're, so there are, God has instilled social order. And social order is made up of those two laws and every law. Thou shalt not kill comes under which law? 
One or two? Two. Um, thou shalt not steal. Two. That's an encroachment on somebody's property or their person. That's your protecting. The protection in any society is are those two laws. Now, what they tell us about God, and that's meant for us to learn something about God. And that is that we learn and we build that characteristic in how we live our lives and how we kind of expect other people to live that way too. Tells us then really how God is because God will do what he says he will do. See, we learn to count on God by the fact that we know we can count on people. We learn about God through what God has done and particularly through the people he has created. So when we, when we dealt with the depraved nature of man, you can see then why most religions who believe in the depravity of man are so wrong in how they view God because you can't see God any differently than what you see man. That's the rule of the Bible. We come to understand God through what's around us, our proximate surroundings. Many scriptures teach that. But for now, let's remember that the first thing, the first law teaches us that not only do we, are we responsible for doing all that we agree to do, and we ought not be agreeing to things that we don't follow through on, because that's a test of character, but we learn that God is a God who follows through with what he has said. So we learn to count on God's word that he will do what he has said he will do. I hate to be, I'm being redundant today, but it fits into where we are. So the second law is, what does that tell us about God? It means that God will not infringe on you because God has created a situation of faith to where you do not know what God does or doesn't do. If you do, it's no longer faith, it is certainty, and that's the work of the devil. People don't understand that. We shall live by faith, not by certainty or sight. That's what the word sight means there. Things that are certain. You know for sure. As soon as you know anything for sure that, that is outside of having been revealed, you've lost it. And you cannot return. Your history. Until you come to grips with that issue, that God has created, that's why God remains hidden. God is a God who hides himself. That's the theme of the prophets. And that's why the only way that he could speak to the patriarchs was through a prophet. And why he comes to us in the Christian age and comes and speaks to us through whom? Through the scriptures. I mean, through, through Christ and then Christ as the apostles through them, the executors of his will, and then they put it in writing so that we can get a grip on it and verify everything that we understand we can verify or discount. Everything can be put to the test. Anything that cannot be tested cannot be used. 
That's pretty simple. So we learn about God, and that's horizontally. But freedom is determined by our relationship with God vertically. Vertically, that is, man toward God, not horizontally. Freedom is not determined horizontally. It is determined vertically by how we have developed our hope in immortality when Jesus says, those who believe what I have just said shall surely not die, will never see death. That's developing that sense of freedom that comes from the assurance that you have ahead of you the hope of immortality. You put on immortality. You are not immortal now. You put on immortality at death if you are in God's kingdom. Now, last week, because of the importance of knowing Christ, of knowing him fully, he says in Philippians 3.8 that that transcends all other knowledge. I know how to do a miter joint. You know what a miter joint is? You know, woodworking? You know, I know how to do dovetailing, Michael. I know what that means. I really do. I know the terms. I won first place in the state of Oregon for a coffee table that I built when I was in high school. Beautiful piece of furniture. It burned when our house burned. But, you know, it didn't withstand the flames. It was no better than anybody else's. (laughs) It still burned. (laughs) But freedom, freedom is determined by how we view the wholeness of Christ. And folks then, if our sense of immortality that Jesus says will be that sense that we will never die, even if we have physical death we will never die we will never die therein lies the freedom that carries people through all kinds of turmoil and difficulties in life that is the freedom that gives us the strength to carry on to the end with a positive disposition so that freedom comes from as paul says from having a full understanding of Jesus Christ, and it transcends all other knowledge. You may know how to do furniture work. You may know how to do mechanical work. You may know how to do lawyer-type work. You may know how to do medicine. But the one thing that transcends all of that is knowing Jesus Christ fully and completely. Paul says that in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8. That's our key text. So wouldn't you know then, religion has sprung up with the intent of diverting us from a full or proper understanding of Christ. And it began back with the days of Augustine, with his corruption of man. And then, of course, if man is corrupted, then we have to corrupt the nature of Jesus. And if he gets corrected, we we ended up with a corruption of God. And we have a, a, falsif- a falsification of the, the spirit. 
and it has been made into a, a person rather than as the essence of what somebody is, which it always is in the neuter. That's why. Well, that's another subject. So here we are in Philippians chapter 3, that I may gain Christ and be found, not just knowing him, but be found in him. See, the key of the scriptures of the new covenant is that we place ourselves in him and we do not invite him into us. We enter our lives through obedience into where he is. And that's the separation between the Lord's church and the churches of sectarianism and denominationalism. We must be found in him. So we want to make sure that we enter into a proper perspective of who Jesus is. And so we have, uh, we, that's why we have developed this view on the three time frames of Jesus to help us clarify these issues. Last week we discussed the deity issue. That the only place in the Bible that refers to, uh, that has the word deity in it is not in the King James. Pat, you found it last week. You don't need to do it today. We found it last week. Everybody, I think, was here last week. And so there, how often do you find that word anywhere in the New Testament? you remember Pat offhand without looking at it? Well, but not in the King James. Okay. It's not found. So why do all the churches talk and emphasize the deity of Christ? It's not found. The New American Standard Version has it in one place. But that's in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. And it's not referring to the person of Jesus while he was here. It is referring to what's in his body now. And that's the church. So the only thing in the Bible that refers to the deity thing, and it's only found one time, is the church has, is the deity of God. It was never Jesus Christ. It was the church that confined, uh, contains the wholeness and the fullness of God. So that's why we prepare Saturday early for coming to the Lord's church on the Lord's day to be with the Lord's people because that's where the Lord is. He is in our midst. He is among us. And some of the translations say, in you. Folks, that's as false as everything. It's not in you, it's among you. I can document all of that. It cannot be denied. It's among us. And so that's why we prepare adequately for coming to the Lord's house on the Lord's day. We get our rest so that we can have enthusiasm and life when we come here to be with the Lord's people because that's where the Lord is. He is among us. So the only place in the Bible, if you find the word deity at all, it is never referred to as relating to Jesus. The only place that it is found is as it relates to the church, and that's in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. So that brings us down. We have to always identify these three time frames because what Jesus was before he came, what he was while he was here, what he became after he left, are three entirely different viewpoints of Jesus. We cannot intermingle them. What belongs before he came, 
does not carry over into what he was while he was here. So I want to go, boy, boy, I haven't even got into my introduction yet. Let's let's go to John chapter 17. Can you get to John chapter 17? Can you do that? Wow, I don't know how I don't know how nimble fingers. Oh, you know, before we do that, let's. Uh, do you have this chart? Let's get this out. Let's get this out of the way. I'm going to pass these out. Because I, if you're going to throw tomatoes, I want you to throw them accurately. I think we got enough. We'll pass these charts out, and we'll get this behind us. Sorry, guys, you're going to have to look off of the board. What, what's that? You got okay. Okay, now here we go. I don't need one. I can make it up as I go, Nathan. <laughs> okay, now, this is kind of tacked on to the deity of Jesus thing. You, you, you ought to understand now how phony that idea is. And so when you hear it, you know somebody doesn't know what they're talking about, and they're presenting to you a false Christ. And the Bible warns us about those who have a false Christ. Right? Oh, yeah. And he says there will be many of them. But there's only one, the Christ, many false Christ. So let's get it right so we don't have our hopes hung up on a false Christ. This is just a kind of attack onto that because sometimes people will come, well, yeah, but what, what about Isaiah? What about Isaiah 9-6? I don't have my pointer. Don't need it for now. For a child will be born to us. And this is from the New American Standard, but it's just relatively the same in the King James. A, boor, a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest upon his shoulders. Nobody has any problem with that. And his name, <clears throat> not, his, not his title, you know, the, the word name means what? Character. It's the full disclosure of what something is. Will be called Wonderful Counselor. And then notice what is added. Not in the Hebrew manuscripts. Why have they added Mighty God? If you believe that, you've believed a false doctrine and you need to repent. Bring yourself, your thinking into alignment with what the Bible says. Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now, in a sense, but not in how that is used, that's true. But the thing is, we don't need to even address it because that's not what is there. That's, see, the, the translations have a bias to them. Now, let's go directly to, this is Greek over here. You can all read that, right? This is simply the English of the Greek. We don't need to 
go over that, but we can if we have to. I can give you all the laws regarding the Greek. Now, notice how it reads in the English directly translated from the Septuagint Greek, which is the translation that Jesus used and the apostles used when they were here. They used the Septuagint. How do we know that? Well, one, one instance, the Hebrew doesn't have a word for angel. So the Old Testament puts the word God in there. Jesus and the apostles corrected that and used the word angel or messenger. That's just one case. They did never quoted the Hebrew. Okay, so notice what it says. For a child, see it up there, verse 6. Can you see that? Can you read it? For a child is born to us, and a son is given to us, whose government is upon his shoulder. That is, his government is upon his shoulder, not somebody else's government. And notice, and his name. Do you see a difference? And his name, his full disclosure, is called the messenger of great counsel. And that's the end. Does that differ from what you have in your English translation? Does it differ? Yeah, it differs. Yeah, you can see the difference. And that's something that people, I love when people go there. Because they have no idea of where that comes from. And that was inserted in the third century to document the depravity of man theory. That Jesus could not have been man, as we've discussed all the way through here. Jesus could not have been man because man is so corrupt and so depraved. So he could not have been a man. So we have to make him something other than man. And this was put in there under the time of Augustine in the original, back in the, uh, uh, added to the transcripts. And so now we get a clarification. This is, this is a direct copy of the Septuagint, just the way it is. A child is born to us, a son is given to us, his government is upon his shoulder, and his name is called the messenger of great counsel. That's a whole lot different, folks. And that's a direct translation of how it is in the Septuagint version. So don't let anybody throw you with their nonsense. You know, the thing is, a lot of times we're not informed. We don't know. And so we're at a disadvantage. But we need to know so that we can deal with that. Now, let's go to, oh, you know what? It's time to quit. Because it's time to quit, we're going to quit. I'm not going to charge extra for quitting early. We won't go to John 17 today. Uh, Greg, thank you, though. Uh, Because I wanted to tie all of this together now because we looked at before Jesus came, before Jesus came, we know that he was begotten. He was not an eternal being. He says he was begotten. He had an origin with God, came out of God. And he came out of God as a result of the sin that took place in heaven that Christ became the solution to and that the Garden of Eden was created and the heavenly and physical universe was created as the resolving of the issue of the sin that began in heaven. It did not begin in Eden. Got that? Sin began in heaven 
with the devil and his claim against God that people would not serve him if he did not bribe them. And that's found in Job chapter 1. So somewhere, because, see, there's no time frame before creation. We have no idea when. When does not exist before creation. You can't ask the question as to when, because there was no time. If there's no time, there's no when, right? Yeah, you can't deal with that question. So that's not a relevant question as to when did that take place. We have no idea. And we wouldn't understand it anyway because we are limited to time frame because we are a part of the physical universe and time is the coherent of our physical existence. So before he came, he was the begotten son and he had become loved of the father. He was loved by the Father. And it says that in Revelation that he was slain before the foundation of the world. So all of those things took place before. So when he became as we are, as one of us, in our likeness, it says he put aside his identity with God. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. He put aside his identity with God. Put it aside. So that he could become as we are, and it says, in everything. And that's what we discussed about in our big chart under how Christ came. And the book of Hebrews tells us what he came to do. And we've discussed all of those, and he came to do them, and in order to accomplish them, he had to be a man. Every time, it says, and he had to become like one of us in order to do what he did. And then somebody says, well, then, how did he do this and how did he do that? Well, the book of John tells us how. Hebrews tells us what he came to do. The Gospel of John tells us how he was able to do it. It says that everything he did came from whom? The Father. Everything that he thought came from the Father. Everything that he, all of his miracles came from the Father. All of his teachings came from, all of, he said, all of my words come from the Father. Everything had been given to him. Everything has been given to me. Even the names of the disciples had been given to him. Because as a man, he wouldn't have any of that information. So it all had to be given to him because, and that's one of the more uh, powerful evidences, that he came as a man. And so God enabled him the same as he did the apostles. So the apostles were enabled. Jesus was enabled to do what we have the results of are available to us today to become participants in. Folks, we can be so assured of our immortality when we belong to the right place and when we believe the right thing and particularly the right things about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is no freedom apart from a pure, unadulterated belief in who Jesus was. We're going to sing our closing song today. Don't know what it is. What is it? 
Oh, well, then we can't be sitting on the premises. Let's stand. Let's sing one, one verse of that. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.